Let's turn together to, let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And um, so as we begin the second week of Advent, and um, as I said last, last week, what I'm trying to do as far as the sermons go is to take the, the theme of the week and f- see where that shows up in the birth narrative. And uh, so, and kind of picking a central character to focus on. So last week was hope and looked for hope in Mary's story. Um, today, the, the, this week, the theme is love. And so obviously the character we focus on is Jesus uh, because uh, there is no, um, there's just no one better. Um, and so uh, before we get to that, let me, let me say this, like when we're talking about love in the Bible, and what scripture teaches us about love, uh, John says this, um, he says that God is love, and if we were to, to look at everything that happens in the entire Bible, we constantly see the connection between God and love. Like there is love in, in everything that we can read about from cover to cover in the scriptures. Uh, sometimes it, it blatantly says it, and other times it's woven into the narrative in different ways. But uh, everything that God has done and is doing and will do uh, has love as a driving, that's the driving force. Um, so if we were to start at the beginning, if you're talking about the character of God, uh, he is love. If you're talking about his creation and creating us as those made in his image, that is Love the the plan of salvation he came up with to rescue us from our uh, situation. Uh, that was love. Uh, filled the rest of the Bible up with promises uh, that were all driven by love. The incarnation of Christ, uh, his first arrival here, that was love. The the life, de- death, burial, resurrection of Christ. Everything about Easter that was all love. Um, the new covenant that he formed with us that was love. The the ascension was love. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was love. The adoption of the sons and daughters of God was love. The uh, mission of God and, the, and partnership with the church, that is all love. The second coming of Christ will also be love. The kingdom of God and the eternal reign of Christ will be love. And every, every other moment in between all of those major moments, every one of them, every, every one of them is love. You won't find anything that God does where love is not the driving force. But it's not, it's not that God does loving things. Like that's just a behavior thing. We were just saying, if it was just God does loving things, then we're just saying, well, God, everything he does, it's so, he's so loving in how he does things. But the Bible doesn't really describe him as uh, God is one who does loving things. It says that he, he is love. It's, it's inherent to him. It's intrinsic for him. It's, it's who he is. Like he, he can't help it. Um, the, in the scriptures, in John chapter 1, um, he says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That the, um, the, the logos... This, uh, this mysterious, like creative, uh, like, like um, 
it's not it's not the force from Star Wars, but it's kind of I think George Lucas kind of stole it. Like it's it's in that same kind of idea. Like there's this there's like something is greater than us. Something is holding all of this together. Something created all of this. Uh, there's something bigger than us that became flesh and dwelt among us. Another way that you could say it, and I hope this is not blasphemous, but you could also say love became flesh and dwelt among us. Because God is, he is love. And because he is love, that means everything he does is loving because he just can't help it because that's who he is. So we have to make sure that we're thinking in the, in the right way. It's not that he does loving things. It's why he does loving things. Because he inherently, intrinsically is love. So like in John 1.18, speaking of Jesus, it says, no one has ever seen God, the only God, who's at the Father's side, but he has made him known that Jesus has revealed something to us. He's revealed this, this love, that love became flesh and dwelt among us. In Romans 5.8, uh, Paul says, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's, it, he's showing his love, but the love preexisted. You know, it's, it's, it's demonstrated, but it's coming from somewhere because it's who he is. John fifteen thirteen, Jesus says, greater love is no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And so, so the Bible is constantly like trying to communicate this about God. Um, and so if he is love, then for us to truly go through the Advent season and really understand uh, all the things that God wants to teach us, um, we have to see all the parts of Advent as being like like God's love in action and being demonstrated. And so with all these different components, we have to look, we have to see this and, and we have to think that's the most, that's just an incredibly loving thing that he did because that's who he is. It's communicating something to us. And so let's look at, let's look at the, the major components of Advent with, with all of that in mind, uh, looking at the, not only the hope of the first week that we've been studying, but now as we go into week two, the love that's communicated. Um, so the incarnation, let's focus on that one first. The first coming of Christ, that that is, that is, a, that is love. And so here, let me read from Luke 2 the birth narrative that you have heard, probably heard a, a bunch of times and you'll probably hear it again. If you come on Christmas Eve, you'll hear it again. Um, that This is something that is so familiar that we have to be really careful that we don't just kind of hear it and it just doesn't really land. We have to be very careful that when we hear it, we hear the love that's woven into it. And if it's not what we hear, maybe after today, maybe after this week, that'll like become like maybe we will listen to the story differently. Here's the, here's the birth narrative from Luke 2, the first part of it. Um, this is 2, 1 through 7. It says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. There's the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Just in case you're looking for a historical point you know, in your mind to figure out, when was this? You know when Quirinius was governor of Syria, don't you? And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and, of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, 
because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, you, you're familiar with that story. Not much of that is probably new information to a, to a lot of you. Um, and, but I don't know, that if, do you hear that? And you're just like, man, what a, what a story filled with love. Uh, it's, it's not explicit in there. You know, it's, just, it's kind of just describing, like, this is, this is what happened. This is, we're, 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 it's Christmas Eve, we're reading the Christmas story, that kind of thing. But there's so much love communicated, maybe not in that exact text, but in the context around it. Here's a, a, few, a few thoughts. Um, one, just, just the name of, of Jesus. Like, his name communicates love in a way that uh, is very, very unique. Like in Isaiah 7, um, one of the prophecies says, Therefore the Lord will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So you might be thinking, why the name of Jesus if it says his name will be Emmanuel? It doesn't say his, his like, proper name will be Emmanuel. It says that his name will be called that. And Emmanuel means God with us. And so even the, the prophets were pointing toward this, this relationship. And what does love want to do? Love wants to be with. Love wants to be with. That's a part of why this, this whole COVID thing and us all being separated from one another, it's one of the many reasons why it's been difficult is because you're, we're not able to be with each other in the ways that we like, desire and have come accustomed to and, and in the ways that, that we were built for. You know? So love wants to be with. And so from the beginning, they're saying that God with us, when people talk about this Messiah, it's going to be in a God with his people context. In Matthew 1, uh, in speaking to Joseph, the angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means God saves. So even the speaking of his name is communicating one of those loving things that God has done that comes from his in- inherent intrinsic uh, co- like value as love, the embodiment of love. And so just the name alone, when we sing the name and when we speak the name and uh, what was meant to be communicated by the name from the the very beginning of when the prophet started talking about him, his name will be, they'll call him Wonderful Counselor, um, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the, the Prince of Peace. They, they have these titles and every single one of them uh, has love as its subtext. You know? And then the, this, the fact that he was even sent. You, you're probably familiar with John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's, we tend to think of that as a, as a, like Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins verse, but it's also an incarnation verse. That God loved the world enough to, to send his son. That the Father, Son, and Spirit got together, formed a plan, and that part of that plan was to go and be with their beloved to go and be with their broken sons and their broken daughters. And not to rescue from afar, but to rescue from, from within. 
if to go with the adoption theme, if 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 we were orphans in need of adoption, Jesus was born into the orphanage and grew up in the orphanage with us. Because love wants to be with, and God wants to be with us. So you turn to First John four. Look at verses nine and ten. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, the verse 9 The love of God being made manifest among us. Something intangible that becomes tangible. That God cannot help but do loving things because it's just who he is. And that love became flesh and dwelt among us. Those ideas have have to be a part of what we are like singing about and realizing and being reminded of. So I may be not telling you one single thing. You, you're like, I've heard all this. I've thought about this. I know all this stuff. Well, good. I'll remind you. How many times do you think Coach O last season said, one team, one heartbeat? Right? He probably may just say it again, you know, a little bit more. <laughs> Paul said, I'm not going to apologize for saying the same things over and over again. Because these are, this is all important. And so if you feel like you know this already, then just let the, let the Lord just affirm it, strengthen it, remind you of what's going on. Verse 10, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation is, is uh, the, way to, the best way to understand that is that God... Uh, God has this, this aggressive uh, thing about him as the Holy One. He has, to, he has to take care of sin. He has to eliminate it. Um, and so his wrath, uh, which wrath kind of has a bad rap as if it's like, uh, I don't know, it has a bad rap. But wrath is actually a very loving thing. Here's, here's a comparison. If, if you have, if you have a, a child who has cancer, um, the parents of that child are going to hate cancer, right? They are going to hate cancer with a passion. They would do everything that they could to take that cancer out of their child and take it into themselves. Every parent in here would agree with me. You just want to take what is destroying your kids from them. That's what God, that's how God looks at sin. It's, it, you don't hate your child, you hate the cancer. He doesn't look at his broken sons and daughters and hate, and hate the sons or hate the daughters, but he hates the sin with, that, that is within them. And because he is holy, sin, sin, cannot be, sin will be destroyed in his presence. And, and so he's like, I have, to, I have to do this very carefully because I don't want to destroy my sons. I don't want to destroy my daughters, but I do want to destroy what's destroying them. And so his holiness has this wrath toward the sin that we carry. It's not aimed at us, it's aimed at the sin. And so God was able to do what in that other, in that other scenario you just can't do. No parent can take the cancer out of their child onto themselves to spare their child. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, but God was able to take the sin out of his sons and out of his daughters onto himself. That's what being the propitiation 
is, is saying is God is like, I'm going to deal with that sin. I'm holy. I have to do it. Uh, let's find a way to do it and not destroy our sons and our daughters. And what it required was one of the Trinity going to be with his people to carve out the sin, just like carving out that cancer and to put it all on himself. He says, I'll, I'll be destroyed so that they can live. That, uh, that's what love does right there. And so, you know, a long time ago, a really long time ago, there are these theologians uh, named uh, DC Talk. Anybody remember the theologians named DC Talk? And they had this song that's called Love is a Verb. And I remember everyone was like, whoa, what a concept, you know. Love is a verb, yes, but before love is a verb, love is a noun. Love is a person. Love is, love is God. We, we have to think of it in that way. And so in this is love, that, that, that love would come here that love will be sent here, that love would agree to come, grow up in the orphanage, uh, take, the, take the sin, the cancer, from everyone onto himself so that those orphans could become sons and daughters. And then holiness, uh, the, like the Holy One, could take all that on him and he could bear the wrath of God to where that cancer, that sin was destroyed and eliminated and then he could be raised to walk in newness of life because you and I couldn't take it. We would be destroyed, but him, he could do it. All of that, like that is, that is a love story. Not in the cheese ball way that Hollywood has made us think of things. That is a, that is a love story. And so the incarnation... The word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Um, this, this is about love. Last week we talked about hope and how much that is tied to what God is going to do and what he has done and how that fits into the moment. And all of those things, hope in the future, hope based on his track record of faithfulness, hope in this moment. The reason why he brings you hope is because he loves you. Because he is love. So, the underlying motivation for every detail of the birth narrative is love. And so we're, as, we, as we hear songs about Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men and all that kind of stuff, and, and it has become just kind of such a cultural thing and a part of Christian culture too, we, may we be really quick to hear that as, as the love story that is being communicated and not just a sentimental part of this time of year. Um, and I don't bring that as an indictment. I don't think any of you are doing that, okay? But I think we have to be careful because it's so easy to get caught up in uh, Christmas and the Christmas season and all that comes with all that, especially during a COVID year where we're already kind of distracted from all that stuff anyway, where the entire world, Christians everywhere, are, are adventing together, you know, we're, we're waiting together. And during this week, we're thinking about the love of God that was manifest among us uh, in these really important ways. Uh, so the first coming was love. The second coming will also be love. Like that's, that is the loving thing that he is going to do. And in John 14, Jesus says, uh, he says this in 14, two through four, in my father's house are many rooms, if it were not so, I would have told you. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
and you know the way to where I'm going. Where I am, you may be also. That's what love wants to do, right? Love wants to be with. That's the second coming is about God being with his people in an unfiltered, unhindered, unveiled way forever. And so the first coming was love. The second coming will also be love. Revelation twenty two twenty. 20. We talked about this in our community groups last week. The last thing that we see Jesus say in the Bible, the last red letters that we have, uh, he says this, Surely I am coming soon. And that is what love is doing. He's saying, hey, uh, I'm coming for you. Now, we focus in on the soon part, and we're like, uh, what? <laughs> what does that mean? How? Uh, but he's like, no, maybe that's not the most important word in the whole sentence. You know? Surely I am coming soon. Matthew 24 and 25, they describe this, this wedding, that, that the bride is waiting for the groom to come and for the wedding to take place. And so we are that bride that is just waiting until the time is right. And the response in Revelation twenty two twenty, the response to him saying, surely I'm coming soon, uh, the response is, amen, come Lord Jesus. If you were speaking Aramaic, you would say Maranatha. And Maranatha uh, is a way of saying, amen, come Lord Jesus. That was there, that was a, like, the short, this really short prayer of the New Testament church. And because it was Aramaic and they were in all these Greek speaking areas, uh, I read th- this week that it, it was also used as like a password at times. Like if they were meeting in secret, that was what you would say to let them know I'm also a Christian. Or if you met someone on the street and, and you were trying to like figure that out, you would work the word Maranatha into it. And if they knew what you were saying, that was like, so it was this code word. It was this, like the part, a part of how Christians identified each other, but it's because that's, that's what they were praying all the time. Like they were saying, hey, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. That was their response to the persecution that was going on, to anything that was happening. It was, amen, come Lord Jesus. But, but here's, my, here's a word of caution that I think is very important, um, is that whenever we're talking about the second coming and there's this sense of like, yes, Lord, Jesus, come quickly, and this, that, that sort of sense, it, we need to be very careful of what's motivating us to, to say those things and to pray those things. Because it's very easy for that to become just pure escapism. You know, it's like, life is hard. I'm tired of the brokenness. Just get me out of here. Jesus, come quickly, you know. And yes, there is, there is an element of escaping all the garbage of this world. Of course, of course, that's a part of it. That's a part of why he's told us how amazing the future is going to be. And, and that's, that's a part of it. And so that is, can be a part of our motivation. But, but what drives us to say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, is it shouldn't be the primary thing is escaping. The primary thing needs to be him. Right? Like none of, none of our married couples wanted to get married just because of like, well, I don't know, you'll do, I guess. It'll be a pretty good life, marrying into money or marrying into, you know, some career path or something like that. Like, no, like that, you don't want to get married for all those things. Like, that's when they call you a gold digger, apparently. (laughs) 
Yes, absolutely. Jesus is going to help us escape from all this. But the best part of it is not that. The best part of it is him. The best part of it is him. Leaving all this behind is bonus. It's a part of his strategy, but the main driving force between him coming the first time and him coming again is to be with you. Yeah, he wants to free you from your stuff, but he just really wants to be with you. And we need to desire to be with him in the same way. So the first coming, first incarnation, love. Second coming, love. Uh, we're in between them, right? We're, we're waiting it out. Uh, something that I think is important to remember is that if you and I were made in his image, guess what, guess what that makes you? It makes you love, right? It makes me love. I mean, I might be reading too much into it, but like, it's a pretty logical conclusion, right? Not that we're the same as him, but we're made in his image. And so you and I, as we wait, we are love as well. And he's freed us from our bondage to sin so that we can love. Uh, and so how do we wait? Well, we wait in love. That's what we do. If you read the next verse, you're still in First John, right? Look at, nine, look at the, the flow from 9 to 10 to 11. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but God has loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's the, that's the logical flow of things. He has loved us, we love other people. Why? Because we're made in the image of love. In John 13, he says it this way, <clears throat> this being Jesus. A new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You're also to love one another. By this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So, in between his, there's all these significant acts of love in the Bible. The ones we're focusing on right now, incarnation, second coming. In between them, we who, who are love and have been freed from sin so that we can love, that's how we get through our lives. That's how we navigate our way through this like busted, broken place is that we love other people while we are here. God loves you. You love God. God loves other people, hopefully they love him, and then God loves other people through you. It's like, it's just, there's just like all these, if you were to diagram it out, it's just lines everywhere. Love everywhere. Going all over the place. N.T. Wright says it this way. Uh, he's, he's one of my favorites. He says that love is the, is the language of Jesus that is spoken in our homeland, and he's come to teach it to us. Love is the language of, that Jesus speaks, and it's what's spoken in our homeland, and he's going to teach us how to speak it. That when, we're, when we are loving people, not just being nice and all that, not like worldly love, I'm talking about like when the agape love is happening, it is otherworldly. 
It is pointing to the intrinsic value of the Holy One whose image we were made in. It's doing something divine. And we get to, we get to do that. And so with love as the driving force, our Advent season should look and sound like love. So, so you're, you're being loved by God and you're loving God and you're also bringing that love to, like you kind of have like those, the people that you're interacting with the most, your, your family, your friends, your, you know, hopefully community group, church folks, all, you know, but also the people that you work with, people that you live around. And then there's kind of like this, this group kind of beyond that that's just like maybe total strangers sometimes, you know. That love is to permeate through all those relationships. And, and so, um, like, while we wait, we join Christ in that kind of ministry, that kind of incarnational loving ministry. And so the gifts that we give, should, they should look like Advent. We shouldn't be just checking boxes, you know, like, well, I gotta get something for dad, so I get something for my brother, I get something for whomever. Uh, let me just check that box off my list. Like, our gift giving can look like Jesus. It takes a little more thought sometimes and even some, some prayer maybe. Uh, but our gift giving can look like Jesus. Our, our spending can look like Jesus. That's a part of why we ask you to give part of your budget to this offering that we're gonna take in two weeks is our, our money, it can't just be fueling the, the dwindling economy, you know. Like, like how we spend our money, where those things are going, should also reflect the uh, incarnation. The, the Mason party, the, the fact that um, so many people in one church would uh, somehow reach into this ministry and take lists and buy gifts and get them all here and do all these kind of things for a group of people who, who are... I would say, for, forgotten about in our world. That's one of the most Advent-driven things that, that we do every year. It's one, of my, it's one of my favorite things to stand back and look at and say, this, this is what Advent is about. Here's 40 adults, chronic mental illness, zero hope on like this side of the second coming for them to, uh, to live a life on their own with the kind of stability and stuff that they were created for. The kind of brokenness that they carry is, uh, it, it's, it's heartbreaking. And I love looking at them and thinking, I, I want to find you on the new earth. Cause I, I had kind of have a feel like, like, um, I probably shouldn't get too deep, deep theologically here. I think they're all going to be there. I'm just going to say that. And I want to meet every single one of them. And I want to see what the, the oak tree version of them is. I'm looking at an acorn. I want to see what the oak looks like, you know. And I think the fact that our church, this is, I'm not like patting us on the back. I'm patting you on the back saying our church, is, our church will get together and we'll throw them a Christmas party that no one else will do. Uh... I think that looks like Advent. I think that looks like waiting in between those events in a, in a loving way. And um, I just think it's, it's amazing. Those are the kinds of things that are going on. And, and for me, I have, to, I have to be careful that during Advent, if I, re, if I really want to love people well, it probably means I'm, I'm messing around my phone less. It probably means I'm listening more and I'm maybe just a little more engaging than normal. Uh, yesterday, uh, my... I live on a street with a bunch of artists 
and they do these pop-up art shows from time to time. And they did one in the empty lot next to my house yesterday. And, uh, and I, um, I was like, I, I probably need to go next door to the, you know, into the empty lot and meet some neighbors and stuff. And, uh, like I don't, I don't have social anxiety in like crowds and like some of those kind of things, but it's like walking up to a stranger and we're all wearing masks and I'm like, hi, tell me about your art. Like for some reason that just completely is not, not me at all. Um, and I'm, of course I'm like prepping for this today and it's like, God's like, well, I'm going to give you an opportunity to love your neighbors. They're literally right outside your window. Um, those are the kinds of things that I, th- I think if, if we can be looking for those opportunities and just let, let God uh, show us how that love not only was manifested through Christ, but how it manifests here and now in all these practical ways, then uh, Adv- Advent takes on life, you know? I love the candles, I love the devotionals, I love the, I love the songs, I love all the things that we're talking about, but there's, there's something about when, when you put your hands to the plow, you know, and you really get into those kind of like loving people in the spirit of Christ uh, kind of things when Advent really comes alive and you're like, okay, now I see why the church fathers put this together. Now I can see why this has stood the test of time. Now I can see why we do everything that we can to just extract every bit of goodness out of it. And it'll look different for everybody. You're all going to have different opportunities to love people in the next few weeks. And as busy and crazy as this time can be, and with COVID and with you know, all the other stuff going on, um, what a unique opportunity for us to be, uh, to be light. That's why, that's why candles are a thing. The light of the world has come into the world. People who, walk, who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And so we get to be those lights that go. And so I hope that this uh, has, has just been a good reminders this morning. God, in his being, he is love. Love became flesh and dwelt among us. The incarnation was love. The second coming will be love. We are love. We wait in love. Like this is, it's all, it's all about love. And how that works its way into your life, uh, I hope, hope that you feel, you, you feel the, the kind of love that God has for you as his son and as his daughter. And that you and I would love him in return. And if, if, that, if, that, if we can get that right, it will naturally spill into loving our neighbors. It's a commandment one kind of thing. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us. We're going we're gonna to sing a little bit more and um, just let this morning be what it needs to be. So would you pray with me? God, I thank you for... Um, thank you for this, this Christmas narrative that... Um, that yet has become quite familiar, but it never loses that specialness. And God, to know that love was the driving force in all the things that you've done all throughout the scriptures and all throughout history, um, and to see all these expressions of love, but to know where it comes from, 
just who you are is something that um, I pray that you help us to keep grabbing onto more and more. And so this morning as we sing and as we just enjoy the togetherness uh, of corporate worship and just being together this time of year, I pray that some of those dots would connect. Whether we've heard it a thousand times or we're hearing it kind of anew, um, may you just teach us and grow us in all the ways that you have in mind and all the ways that you know that we need. Uh, We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.